a world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity in the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of language teachers from around the world. This is episode six. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Joe Dale, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, co-host, podcast buddy, partner in crime, Noah Geisel. Hi, Noah. How's it going? Fantastic at Joe Dale. How are you doing? I'm feeling all loved up this month, Noah, because I had my article, 20 Ideas for Using Technology in MFL Teaching, published by Teach It Languages. And I received an email from them recently saying that uh, my resource had been loved and it had a lovely pink heart in the email that I received. And uh, it was just amazing. So that was really lovely. So those people interested in checking out the article, of course, as always, it'll be in the show notes. How about you, Noah? How's life going with you? Joe, I just think that's such great news that uh, your work is being so loved and appreciated. And I know we've been hearing from some of our listeners who've been sharing some of that love. That definitely fills my cup. My cup has also, of course, been filled by ongoing preparations for the Badge Summit, which uh, is coming up here on June 22nd. And uh, the ISTE conference is coming up, which for folks in the UK and, and Europe who aren't aware, that's the largest educational technology conference here in the United States. So lots of fun and exciting stuff going on all around. And talking of lots of fun and exciting stuff, let's crack on straight away with the the meat of the episode, the radar section. What's been on your radar recently, Noah? My radar this month, Joe, is definitely in line with this episode's theme of football, soccer, the world <laughs> sport. And uh, I'm turning to Christy Placido, an amazing American Spanish teacher and author who has shared a free Spanish reading resource all about how the Thai soccer team was trapped and rescued from a cave while using creative Spanish language and images in order to help students understand the topic. And here to tell us more about it is Christy Placido. Hi, this is at Placido, and I was asked to share a little bit about a resource that I created about the Thai soccer team that was rescued from the cave last summer. So I made this resource because I just found that story really fascinating. I think kind of all of us were really enthralled with that story. And I thought since there was already some vocabulary that I knew my level two students would know coming in that would allow me to tell that story, I thought this would be a great way to start out the year teaching something that they may or may not have already heard about but that was really compelling and really interesting and that I just thought we would all enjoy discussing together as a class. I also just really enjoy talking about things that are real. So I just took some screenshots of the news story from online and I did kind of a picture talk. I just in really simple terms talked about what was going on in the pictures. I used a lot of cognates. I used really simple language And then I followed up by making a little reading with the same pictures in just really simple language. And I threw some additional pictures in just to aid their comprehension as well. 
Thank you so much, Christy, for that explanation. Joe, what, what do you think about this activity? I thought it was fantastic. I really liked the way in which Christy took a real-life context, something that actually would be interesting and relevant to, to young people today, and the way in which she's then using that context for language learning activities. I just think that's fantastic. It makes me think of Meredith White, for example, who we had on a previous episode, and the way in which she uses authentic text in Snapchat and in Instagram, and the way that she really empowers the students with something that they really want to find out about. And then the language, if you like, is a bit secondary. Secondary, but you've got that initial enthusiasm there. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's what, you know, the whole comprehensible use of language is all about. And Christy is such a great model for that. I highly recommend if you're not following her, everybody, check her out. Your teaching will thank you. Another US-based Spanish teacher and football fan is Diego Ojeda. Here are his six top tips for using football in the languages classroom. Hello, Noah, and hi, Joe. My name is Diego Ojeda at Diego Ojeda 66. First of all, I must confess that after my family and my students, football is the most important thing in my life. This might seem a bit exaggerated, but it's the truth and does not come close to the passion that some people feel for this sport in some South American countries. For example, in Argentina, it is common to hear that in life, football comes first, then family, and then God. Throughout the years, I use the theme of soccer in many ways in my classes. Let me share six ideas that other language teachers may find interesting. It is worth noting that football is equally important in Europe, so it is not only an important subject for the Spanish class, but it can be a fantastic and interesting subject in French, German, Italian, and other language classes. In fact, China has the fastest and most expensive soccer league these days. Some ideas about how to integrate the theme of football in the foreign language class are Number one, continental championships. Every two years, countries in each continent compete for their continental cup. Usually, this tournament is played in various cities, not necessarily the capital cities. It is a great opportunity to learn about different regions of the host country. Number two, the players. Each national team has players from different regions and cities in the country. It is worth researching a bit about the life of each player so we know more about cultural perspectives and practices through their life experience. Many of them come from challenging life situations that they overcame through the sport. Number three, the food. In general, each country has a typical stadium food like here in the United States where it's common to eat hot dogs and popcorn. In countries where soccer is the most important sport, special meals are also eaten in the stadium. I'll share a link with examples. Number four, the colors. In this activity, the students compare the colors and designs of the shirts of each national team with the flag and symbols of each country. For example, Yellow is a predominant color in Colombian's national team's shirt, just like in the flag of the country. Each color has a meaning that students can research. Number five, football chants. Soccer fans create chants that they sing during the games. These songs are simple, short, and with lots of great repetition. Perfect for the comprehensible input class. And finally, number six, the songs dedicated to each national team. Working with these songs is interesting because they usually use native rhythms. For example, in Argentina, they might sound like tango. In Colombia, like salsa or cumbia. 
and in Mexico, like a corrido. Anyway, as you can see, Noah and Joe, football is almost everything. And now, please, wish me good luck so that Colombia's national team will win Copa America this year. Muchas gracias. And Joe, Dale, what is your radar moment for this episode? So one thing that's been on my radar recently is the Steven Spender Poetry Prize for Poetry and Translation competition that's been tweeted about a lot recently. And it's a great competition to encourage young learners to write in poetry, whereby they have to translate a poem for any language, ancient or modern, into English. And there are prizes up to £1,000. Woo! So the deadline of the competition is the 12th of July. And here's Charlotte Ryland to tell us a little bit more about the competition. I'm Charlotte Ryland. I'm director of the Stephen Spender Trust, which is a charity that promotes translation, multilingualism, international literature and language learning. On Twitter, I'm at Charlotte Ryland and the trust is at Stephen Spender and that's Stephen with a PH. I've been at the trust for just over a year and one of the things I'm most enjoying is running our annual competition, the Stephen Spender Prize for Poetry and Translation. This year's prize open for entries in March of this year, and the deadline isn't until the 12th of July. So there's plenty of time for everybody listening to get their students involved in the competition. What I particularly like about the prize is that it's open to everybody from children to adults. And it's a really simple idea that gives the opportunity for a focused activity with pupils that's also very creative. It's free to enter for under 18s. And the simple idea is that you pick any poem in any language, translate it into English and write a short commentary. And that commentary might reflect on why you chose the poem, what you particularly enjoyed about it, why you made certain choices in your translation, and where the challenges were. There are prizes for the winners, and we also publish all the winning translations in a booklet and on our website. And the winning and commended translators are invited to an awards ceremony in London in the autumn. We're really pleased that teachers have started to use the prize as a focus for activity in class or in lunchtime clubs. And there are examples of those activities on our website. Our website also has advice for teachers who want to get involved in the prize, suggested poems, tips for young translators, and information about the Polish Spotlight, which is a special prize we're running for Polish for translation from Polish this year. In general, there's lots going on at the Trust. Um, we're working really hard to raise the profile of languages and to support teachers. So we're really keen to hear from language teachers in particular. Please do sign up to our e-newsletter via our website. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. That is fantastic. And the deadline is coming up July 12th. So teacher students get on it. And speaking of competitions, we're really pleased to announce that Linguiscope, who's of course our sponsor here of the MFL Twitterati podcast. Thank you very much, Linguiscope. Linguiscope is giving away a free subscription to its award-winning language learning platform. Entering your school is easy and only takes a few seconds. Simply visit linguiscope.com slash podcast. That's linguiscope.com slash podcast. The winner will be announced in the next episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast. Good luck, everybody. In addition to the competition, our sponsor, Linguiscope, is also offering our listeners a whopping 25% discount on all products ordered on their online shop until the end of August. Linguiscope offers a host of resources to make teachers' life easier. Games, workbooks, reference tools, posters, reward stickers, incentives, and much more. Linguiscope ships anywhere in the world so everyone can take advantage of this amazing offer. So, to claim your 25% discount, simply go to shop.linguiscope.com. That's shop.linguiscope.com and quote promo code podcast at checkout. Welcome back, everyone. Next up on the MFL Twitter Eye podcast, we are to the takeaway section where Joe and I 
Riff on a tweet, an idea, a topic that is really resonating with us in the moment right now. Joe Dale, what is your takeaway for this month's episode? Okay, so I've actually got three takeaways around the same theme of feedback. And the first one is from Craddy Cruz, a.k.a. Jenny Ligie. So out of the blue, I received this speak pipe notification from Jenny saying essentially how much she liked the podcast, but it, it really touched me. It really did. In fact, to be frank, it brought a tear to my eye. It was it really moved me because what Jenny was saying was that she was listening to the podcast on her commute into work. She was trying out all the ideas with her students and she couldn't wait for the next episode. And, and, and it just really makes it all worthwhile when you hear that sort of feedback when you hear the actual person's voice describing how she really feels about the podcast, that you're putting all this effort and research and what have you into it, that it's really making an impact. We've also had some lovely audio from Karen Graf, aka Prof Espanol, talking about how she took the ideas from Darren White, talking about gifts and how she was really inspired by that and then gave some recommendations how, how she could use that herself in her own context of giving feedback using gifts. And likewise, Olivier 7068-0930, so nice and easy to remember, who's a language teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and he mentioned in his feedback how he used the tool remove.bg that we mentioned, I think, in episode three, and he gives a really nice example about how he's been using it in his own practice. Bonjour, Joe. Bonjour, Noah. My name is Jenny Leger, and I am a teacher trainer at university in France, in Normandy. I was a classroom teacher for 20 years, in France and prior to that a classroom teacher in England and I have always been trying to keep on the technology radar and enjoying using technology in the classroom. Now that I am in teacher training I am trying to pass on the bug to my trainees. Your podcast is just brilliant because I can listen to it on my commute. It is just the length of time it takes for me, traffic permitting, to get to work. And so when I arrive at university, the first thing I do is share the new ideas with my trainees. They don't always go for all of them because they think I'm a little bit mad sometimes, but the ideas are there and it keeps us buzzing. So keep up the good work. It's coming across the channel to us in France and we are enjoying it big time. Thanks. Bye. Hi, all. This is Karen Graf, Graf Espanol on Twitter. And I wanted to comment on Darren White's description of how he uses GIFs to give students feedback in episode five. I really love the idea of incorporating GIFs into feedback as a quick indication for students if something needs to be revised or if criteria was met. And I was thinking that this could be extended to the whole class or small groups working together to identify different GIFs that could be used as feedback or criteria for a certain task or activity or students could even create their own gifts for peer review or self-assessment. And then extending the use of gifts beyond that, I like to use a lot of target language memes or student-created memes for certain topics such as the first day of school, final exams, waking up in the morning, or just any everyday topics that are relevant to students. And I was thinking that this same thing could be done with gifts. So Working in the target language, students could match GIFs to certain situations or sort them in certain categories or even create their own GIFs based on a specific situation that you give them. So kind of moving beyond just using words or images, but really integrating digital tools that students are familiar with and, and use every day. And finally, I thought it would be interesting for students to explore the most popular GIFs in the target language country or search for GIFs that are used by their peers their own age in the target language. 
using the gift as a culturally authentic resource that could even prompt discussion about its cultural relevance or significance. So I just want to say how much I enjoyed learning about new ways to use gifts, and I hope others can take some of these ideas and see how it works out in their own classroom. Thanks so much, and I look forward to the next episode. Hi, my name is Olivia. I'm a teacher in Melbourne in Australia. I've presented not too long ago at a conference here in Melbourne called the MLTAV 2019. This stands for Modern Language Teachers Association of Victoria. And uh, in the last slide of my presentation, I specifically mentioned the MFL Twitterity podcast, episode three, where I've heard a lot of teachers sharing internet resources that they had been using in their classrooms. One particular resource they had shared was called remove.bg. With this application, teachers only need to upload a picture that represents people and what the application does is it removes the background. I've been using this so that uh, students would be able to use things like past tenses in order to create a new narrative around the people they were seeing, only to reveal the background at the end of the activity. This added a sort of a humorous dimension to, to the activity. I've also used OneNote as a resource where students are able to share all of their work, where I'm able to give feedback on their work. I've also been able to give all of the information in advance to the following class that I need students to work on. This has allowed me to flip the classroom and have students prepared before they come to class. I hope these resources are helpful to listeners on this podcast and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. So fantastic stuff there from Jenny, Karen and Olivier. Thank you so much for your feedback. As we said already, we would love more feedback. We'd love more iTunes reviews. We'd love more SpeakPipe contributions. It's very, very much appreciated. And uh, maybe you'll appear on a, on a future podcast as well. So what about you, Noah? What's your takeaway for this episode? Well, Joe, just as you treated with uh, three takeaways, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit and depart from the norm and go with more of a topic than a tweet. And, you know, that's really just the moment that it feels like we're in, at least in the United States. I'm curious to hear what, what you're experiencing there in Isle of Wight. You know, we're in the Women's World Cup. It is all over the news. When you're, you know, in restaurants, bars, at the gym, on the TV, they're showing Women's World Cup. Before the Women's World Cup here in the States, they're showing college women's softball, you know, it, just as much as they were showing the NBA men's basketball. And another thing that I noticed, just all this stuff is just happening all at the same time, Joe. And there's now uh, the Colorado Rockies, my major league baseball team here in Denver, Colorado, last weekend had a female announcer calling the play-by-play -play on the television broadcast, which is something pretty new. And so, you know, my takeaway is just that we are experiencing a renaissance, if you will, of you know what it means for women in sport. And specific to this episode of football, Joe, you know, I'm curious if you're noticing anything or have any thoughts about, you know, what others might be able to take away from this and how it could impact our teaching practices. Well, I think the BBC have been doing sterling work in this area. So recently in flagship shows such as Football Focus and Match the Day, they've been having female presenters talking about the game, giving their opinions, giving their points of view, which is fantastic. And also, I believe I'm right in saying that the viewing figures for the Women's World Cup has been, on average, higher than some of the European qualifications in the men's game, which is just great. What do you think, Noah? 
And I think it's really spectacular that, you know, growing up in a world where we, you know, sadly just didn't know that we needed to do better, that, you know, it, there was sport and then there was women's sport. And I think that we're really coming on a moment now where it's just going to be all sport and, and as, as it should be. And I think that, you know, that a lot of times we tend to use sports as metaphors for life. And so there's a lot happening that also can be brought into the classroom, even a language learning classroom for discussions. So for example, the U.S. women's national team right now is raising the issue of equal work for equal pay. And, you know, the thought being there that the professional athletes on the women's national team are being paid 30 cents on the dollar to their male counterparts to do the same work. And many would argue better being that the men didn't even qualify for the World Cup and the women are, you know, some of the favorites to win it. And so I, I, I see there, Joe, an opportunity for us to bring into language learning classrooms really accessible kind of debate topics for conversation, even at our lower level language classes that hopefully go way beyond language learning and expand to life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In fact, we've got some audio on that very uh, topic in the show and tell, which we're going to hear in a moment. But just in relation to specific resources around the uh, Women's World Cup, the uh, Arsenal Double Club have developed some free resources available in French, Spanish and German, which can be accessed from the link in the in the show notes, which we'll share with you. And also the hashtag FIFA WWC is a great way of finding out about authentic resources in the target language on Twitter FIFA as well have set up different Twitter accounts in different languages. So there's, for example, FIFA.com underscore FR, FIFA.com underscore ES and FIFA.com underscore DE for tweets officially from FIFA in French, German and Spanish, which could be used as a great way of harnessing an authentic grammar point from an authentic tweet from one of those accounts, which you can then use as a starter activity in your French, German, Spanish lesson, for example. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and issue a challenge, Joe, to our listeners, that if you are that German, Spanish, French teacher who dives into these FIFA tweets in the target language and you decide to curate a collection of them for use in your language learning class, that you go ahead and share that back with the world. Please use hashtag MFL Twitterati podcast and we will make sure to feature you and your work on a future episode. Or better still, if you would like you, having listened to the previous episode, obviously you could use Wakelet as a way of making collection of authentic tweets from those accounts, which you could then use in your lessons and then share with other people in the community. That'd be awesome. Absolutely, Joe. And you know, you probably are going to end up cutting this from the final episode, but revisiting Wakelet, kind of a fun thing that I decided to play around with after our recording last month was to ditch my slides on a presentation at a teacher conference earlier this month and instead create my entire presentation using Wakelet. And I took advantage of the collaborative mode. And so at the very beginning of the presentation, I shared a link with the attendees that gave them access to actually edit my wake. And I was able to just be totally transparent and humble with the attendees to say, you know what? I have what I think might be some of the right questions. I definitely don't have all the right answers. I'm going to lean on you all for that. And uh, what, it, what it allowed us to do was to shape the presentation in real time to meet the needs of the attendees. And so they were able to not just sit and get in this presentation. They were actually able to take on agency and ownership and actually co-create the presentation with me in real time. And it was a really fun way of implementing Wakelet. So I'll, I'll sneak, I'll cheat three times over and sneak in one more takeaway, Joe Dale. Absolutely love it, Noah. Great stuff. The MFL Twitterati podcast is brought to you by Linguascope. 
Linguascope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguascope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages, with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All staff and students can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from principal worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguascope is new to you, then you'll feel like all your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguascope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguascope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguascope. And now it is time for our show and tell segment and buckle up everybody because for this special football edition of show and tell, we have a whole lot to show and a whole lot to tell. First up, Joe, this one is really exciting. I'll let you tell our listeners about it. Well, a couple of months ago, I was absolutely blown away when I had an email from Tony Costin from, wait for it, the BBC. And he wanted me to help promote the initiative called Supermovers, which is essentially lots of different videos that the BBC have produced in the last 18 months to encourage young learners to be active in their learning. And it covers all subjects at primary, not just languages, but also maths, English, etc. And uh, here's Tony to talk about Supermovers along with his colleague, Poppy. Hi, I'm Tony. Hi, I'm Poppy. And we work at the BBC with the campaign Supermovers, which is a partnership between the BBC and the Premier League. It's an initiative to get primary school children moving in the class, which can be quite a sedentary environment, as well as at home. So as well as the physical benefits of that, we're also known that as a short burst exercise, it's known to increase their focus subsequently. So while they're learning in class. So this is why we've introduced Brain Boosters, which are a series of videos aimed at key stage one and two, covering subjects from English, maths, science to PSHE. Yes, so when it came to thinking about the next subject that we wanted to cover in the Brain Boosters, we thought that languages would be perfect, given the fact that learning lots of vocabulary via songs is a great way to learn. So we selected French and Spanish, and we've created two Brain Boosters, And they're particularly unique compared to our other brain boosters because they feature footballers from the countries in question. And they are the ones who actually say the vocab in the film. So children can get moving with stars such as Hector Bellerin and Kurt Zuma whilst learning different greetings and how to ask people how they are and how to respond. So uh, if you take a look at our videos and uh, you want to let us know what you think of them, uh, you can find us on Facebook under BBC Teach. You can find us on Twitter uh, at BBC underscore teach using the hashtag Supermovers. And of course, you could just Google Supermovers and that will take you to our content. So thank you. Wow, Joe, that is so amazing that we get to use BBC Premier League and MFL Twitterati podcast all in the same sentence. And more than just the pat on the back to the podcast, you know, what I think is really cool is that we've already seen some momentum growing out of this. Exactly. In fact, I was lucky enough to be invited to the celebration evening of Supermovers at Ashmont Primary School, which happened a couple of days ago. And I was blown away by the pupils from Oasis Academy, Ryland, who gave this literal all singing, all dancing presentation, proving the importance and the value of acting learning. It was incredible. And here's Dan Gooding from the BBC to talk a little bit about that special evening. 
Well, today's been a, a really fantastic event. We've had a celebration of Supermovers and all of its achievements and a real throw forward to the future as well. We've had guests and friends from the Premier League, from the BBC, and then also people who have starred in the Brain Boosters. So Ben Shires was here, who was in the uh, Modern Foreign Language films, and Radzi, of course, hosted it, who uh, does his own Brain Boosters, but also some teachers who have delivered Supermovers in the classroom and seen the benefits of the campaign and, and in terms of students' mood, attainment, concentration, and obviously their um, levels of physical activity. And it's been really lovely to sort of see all these people who are now our friends, really, as well as our colleagues, to celebrate what we've done and to look forward to the next piece of Supermovers and the next um, part of its lifetime. Fantastic, uh, Dan. And can you maybe talk a little bit about the impact based on the Loughborough research on Supermovers? Well, one of the things we first set out to do when we wanted to begin the campaign was really try and analyse and perhaps prove our theses that physical activity does make a difference to learning. And we were really, really grateful that we got Loughborough University on board to help us with some robust research. They did a, what we called a supersize experiment midway through the campaign, where they took students from the same school but split them into two separate groups. At the start of the experiment, both groups did a, a cognitive test. Half the group then went off and did physical activity. The other half carried on with some academic work and they came back and then did the test, similar test again. And uh, surprise, surprise, <laughs> the, the results really were that physical activity did make a difference in terms of people's brain speed and brain function. So what we could say is that in terms of brain speed, what Loughborough called the ability to process information and apply it to tasks, that improved by 19% after exercise. 77% of participating schools noted an improvement in brain function and learning in the pupils who did the exercise. But the really interesting thing is that actually exercise improved the mood of all children, but most notably the brain function of boys. So you know, really kind of a good way to perhaps cement the success of brain boosters and the success of super movers. Part of my and my team's challenge as well was really to get brain boosters and get just for funds and get the super movers resources used. No point making them, making them educationally robust if no one's actually going to use them or know about them. But, um, you know, uh, we're really pleased to say that 75% of teachers who are using Supermovers content do it at least once a week. We'd like it to be more. <laughs> so do more. And 83% of those teachers agree that it's helped their people to do more physical activity. And then, of course, parents, you know, parents were, were forefront of our mind as well. And 90%, um, so almost all, 90% of parents who use Supermovers agree that it's helped their child do more physical activity. And then really the, the other less quantifiable results. So when you talk to the, the students and the pupils that have been using Supermovers and how much they love doing them, how much they understand that they are learning and that they are moving and that actually doing the two together improves their learning, makes their test scores better, makes them feel better, improves their mood and makes them physically more healthy. It seems like a no-brainer, to be honest, and it's really fantastic to, to have been involved with. Just in terms of the next part of the campaign... We're focusing really on peer-to-peer -peer learning and a, and a project called Supermovers Champions, which helps the upper ages in the in the school, year fives and six, lead activities and lead physical activity in their classrooms and, and bring the younger peers through and help them learn about the importance of physical activity and what it can do for you. And it gives them the power and the kind of 
ownership to really drive that through their school. So we're really excited about that. That'll be on BBC Teach, which is where the, all of the Supermovers resources now live. So if you were listening and you wanted to do find out more and, and explore Supermovers even more, go to www.bbc.co.uk slash teach. Thank you so much, Dan Gooding from the BBC for that awesome audio. And to tie a just really, I think, special bow around this segment of the show and tell is some audio we have from Simone who saw, Joe, your tweet where you tweeted out a photo of you with the Premier League trophy. And here she is talking about how she and her kids are already using and loving Supermovers. Hello, I'm Mrs. Mandarin 8. <laughs> And I'm here with... Maeve, and I am seven. And Michael, I'm nine. And so we're going to have a little chat about Supermovers. How did you find out about Supermovers? Um, well, we did it in year four with my teacher. Okay. And what about you, Maeve? Same. Year two. Okay. What's so good about it? What's so fun um, about it? It's fun because there's silly actions and stuff, and it makes you like remember your times tables and decimals. What's so good about it, Maeve? What do you like, especially? I like how it's all funny and they all have actions. Oh, so which subjects do you like the best? Math. Math. Do you have a favourite song? Yes. Yes. Which one I am the Ma- rapping unicorn. Gonna help you be a master of it in my time table. Yeah, you're gonna see. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's been awesome. Great stuff there from Simone and her lovely children about the power of supermovers. Earlier on in the episode, I mentioned the Arsenal Double Club who've been doing great work in the field of football and enhancing language learning and we now have some audio from Steve Eden who've been running the Arsenal Double Club for the last 10 years or so and the impact it's had so far in the classroom. Hi everyone this is Steve Eden and I run the Arsenal Double Club Languages program. You can follow us on Twitter at AFC Double Club. For those who don't know who we are or what we do I work for Arsenal Football Club in the outreach department Arsenal in the Community. We do lots of work with schools to engage pupils in various subject areas, in my case modern languages, by harnessing their enthusiasm for Arsenal or football in general. We do this by producing some really cool Arsenal-branded learning materials for you to use in school. This includes pupil booklets, downloadable worksheets, authentic video content of Arsenal players who are native speakers of French, German and Spanish, and a coaching guide that gives you a range of ideas for practical sports sessions that you can do incorporating the target language. These materials are suitable for all learners, all abilities, and no, you do not need to be an Arsenal fan or know anything about football to use these materials. The best part, a lot of these resources are completely free of charge. Once you've ordered your resources, get started with using them in school however you think they'll work best. Some schools use them every now and then during lesson time. Others have their language assistants use them with smaller groups. Some run the programme as a weekly after-school club. The programme's completely adaptable, so just use them in line with your school's needs. When you've finished using the resources in school, why not bring your group to Emirates Stadium for a very special language day? Here you'll get a tour of the stadium, where pupils complete a quiz in the target language. You'll also get a real insight to the role languages play at Arsenal both on and off the pitch. And pupils go away with prizes at the end. Remember, the overall aim here is to give pupils the confidence, motivation and drive to pursue a language, opening their minds by channeling their passion for football. Football's a great way to expose pupils to role models, not just in a sporting context, but linguistically too. 
For more information and to sign up, head over to arsenaldoubleclub.co.uk and once again, you can follow us on Twitter at AFC Double Club. The Arsenal Double Club also appeared recently on an episode of Match of the Day when students from Skinner's Academy in Hackney went along to a press conference with the manager of Arsenal, Unai Emery, and actually interviewed him in Spanish. And here's some audio from Detti underscore C and Jacqueline Smith, a teacher in question, about how that went. Here we are at the Arsenal Stadium having a training session run by the Arsenal Double Club. I'm Detti underscore C. I work for Hackney Learning Trust and we've always encouraged our primary schools to use the Arsenal Double Club material. But now that they've developed some intermediate materials which are free on their website and are developing language ambassadors, secondaries are now getting involved. I'm here with Jacqueline who's the teacher of those students seen on Match of the Day interviewing Unai Emery. Jacqueline, can you say what it brings to the the study of languages of getting involved with the Arsenal? So working with um, Arsenal Double Club, it's a way for students to engage more and develop their language skills. If they are motivated by football, which many boys and girls are, what better way of learning a language through their favourite team or their favourite sport? Pupils develop their confidence in a language and also their leadership skills and they have the ability to improve their language skills as well as working as a team. The language resources online that Arsenal Double Club offer have um, some very thoughtful and thought-provoking and engaging activities that link sports into languages. And um, so far, as we've worked with Arsenal Double Club, it's had um, a very big impact on the students learning a language. Great. Thank you. Amazing, authentic opportunity for those students to use their language learning in real life for something that is meaningful and engaging to them. And next up, we have primary languages teacher, Natalingo, who is a qualified football coach who combines her love of football with her love of learning languages when teaching French and Spanish both in and outside of the classroom. My name is Natalie Paris, also known as the French Post Lady or Natalingo. I am an experienced languages teacher and also an FA qualified coach. I love combining my experience in both and I do this through the delivery of football skills in schools in French and in Spanish. When we have enough time, I start a session in the classroom and reinforce the language that the children have been learning. For instance, if they've been learning about clothes, we describe a football strip, include colours, adjectival agreement. Then we move on to the practical session. I always use simple instructions that the children can follow in the target language and demonstrate every exercise, of course. One of my favourite activities is the game of corners. There is one child in each team who has to listen out for a specific sentence, for instance, je porte un short vert. And when I say that sentence, the children have to compete to get the ball and try to score a goal for their team. I always finish off with a penalty shootout. But the team has to answer a question in French or in Spanish before they can take each shot. As they want to take the penalties, They do want to get it right. It is great fun, but it also 
a good example of the use of the language for a purpose. And it is highly motivating for all children. I am very lucky I get to deliver those sessions. Thanks so much to Natalie for that lovely audio. If you want to hear more from Natalie, check out her Natalingo Natas podcast, which is available in all the places you listen to your podcast. Next up, we have Mark Linguist, who travels the world as a football translator and interpreter, and here's his story. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Joss, and you can find me on Twitter as Mark Linguist. That's Mark with a C. I'm a football translator and football interpreter who's been using languages in the world of football for over five years now. My languages journey started back at school when I was 11, taking up French and Spanish, then did Italian GCSE and decided to go with all three languages at the University of Birmingham, where I also brought in Portuguese for the first time. I've always loved languages and also football, and I've been lucky enough to combine my passion for my job for the last five years or so. Most of what I do involves translating football-related content from Spanish, French, Italian or Portuguese into English. It could be interviews with players, coaches, football experts. And I also interpret, which involves going to training grounds or football stadiums in the UK or abroad, helping out with media interviews with players or managers who don't speak English or aren't comfortable speaking it in front of the camera. So I have a very exciting job and I'm very lucky to do what I do. I also do get to travel abroad and I've had jobs in foreign countries. And of course, all that's only been possible thanks to my language skills, which you know has taken years and years of hard work, studying vocabulary, grammar, making long lists and trying to put everything into practice and taking advantage of traveling opportunities. So My big advice for everyone out there is to follow your passions because you never know where they might lead you. Good luck. There's so much to love in that show and tell from Mark Linguist. And you know, one of the things I think is super mega muy importante for our listeners to think about for their students is really stressing that, you know, we can have Google do translation for us, but what it can't do is interpreting. The humans do matter and will always matter when it comes to this really important work. And that for some of our students who love sport, but maybe aren't going to be making it as a professional athlete that languages are an avenue for them to make it to the big leagues. And so, you know, in addition to this story from Mark Linguist, we're also going to link an article in our show notes to the 24-7 job of being a professional interpreter for Major League Baseball teams as well. Another inspirational story around the topic of football and languages is the cross-curricular global learning project that Trekkie P runs at his school and have been doing so since 2006. Over to Jonathan to explain more. Hello, my name's Jonathan Peace and my Twitter handle is at Trekkie P. I'm going to share with you one of the ways in which we promote language learning and global learning through football. We run a World Cup project at school. It's a whole school project and we've run it for every World Cup since 2006. Each class draws one of the competing countries in the December prior to the World Cup in the following June. They then have various activities that are given, focusing on their individual country and finding out more about it. So they have to find out about the culture. They produce a history timeline. They find out about the food, the famous people, some creative tasks as well. So they design a mascot, a logo. It's a great global learning opportunity and it runs right the way through the six or seven months running up to the World Cup. 
Each activity has points for presentation and content. And there's a, a scoreboard which is regularly updated on Google Sheets so that staff and students alike can check how they're doing compared to the other teams. We give over PSHE lesson time for this, but also we have a World Cup day, so a full curriculum day given over to the World Cup project in March or April time, which gives the classes a really good opportunity to work through their activities and make sure they are completing everything they need to. Obviously, you can give some of the activities a languages twist. For example, one of the activities is to design a kit for your team. So obviously, you could use the foreign language to describe the items of clothing chosen, the colours. We also have a fantasy team activity, and you could use the language to describe which players you would choose. So good use of the conditional there, as well as giving opinions of the players and reasons for your choices. This all leads up to a World Cup exhibition which takes place on the first day of the World Cup itself. Each class has a table, and on that table they put down everything to do with the country that they've been studying. So all of their different activities. So lots of presentations, lots of colour, flags, creative work, and it fills the hall. If you want to see a few more pictures about it, have a look on Twitter on the hashtag World Cup Project 2018, and you'll see a little bit about how the World Cup project went this time. Obviously, with the Euros coming up in 2020, the Women's World Cup this summer, uh, the Rugby World Cup in October, there's lots more opportunities like this that which maybe you could use to promote language learning and global learning alike. Anyway, if you want more details, please feel free to contact me on Twitter. And thank you very much for listening. Fans of phonics and correct pronunciation will love this next idea from at GriceMFL on how she uses the names of the players from the French national team. Hi, I'm Polly. I'm a PGC student and at GriceMFL on Twitter. Somebody from the MFL Twitterati sent me a footballer phonics display. I think it was from St. Birinus School in Oxford and I adapted it into a lesson. So I firstly showed my students some footballers, pictures and names from ones that were particularly useful sound-wise. So I had, for example, Courtois, Clichy, I had Sanya, and we just did a listen and repeat. So I said the name, I highlighted a particular sound that was different in French and English, and they repeated it. And then we went through them all again, one by one, but this time I added in some French words to demonstrate the sound in action. So for example, we had Courtois and Oiseau. And I put the OI in bold and underlined in the name and the word to make it really, really easy for them to notice. Then I started showing them words with footballer shirts underneath. So we had just the word champignon with cliché and sanya. And students were able to think, right, cliche, cliche, champignon, nye, sanya. And they were able to pronounce it brilliantly without hearing it from me first. And we went through lots of examples, so they were able to practice all of the sounds like that. And then I gave them a list of English words to look up in French. So one of them was chocolate, and they used cliché to remind them that ch was ch. We'd already done some stuff on sight letters at the ends of words, so they were all able to say chocolat without them hearing it from me first. I think what struck me the most in the lesson was some of my middle to low attaining boys just completely took over. This was their lesson and they knew it. They knew all the names of the footballers. They were the experts. They knew they could pronounce all these words brilliantly. They absolutely raced through the dictionary exercise and their confidence was really, really high, which I don't often see. 
And I was really keen in the lesson as well to praise them for their efforts and really make a big deal when they'd got something right. I taught them for a couple of lessons since then. And when I've had a word in my PowerPoint with one of our footballer sounds, I have it in bold and underlined like in the original lesson. And this guides them back to that lesson and they think, okay, why is that underlined? What is that footballer? What is that sound? We moved on to food and they were doing some independent vocabulary research. And one of the boys had found the word for fish and he put up his hand. He said, miss, is fish in French poison? And he had his book open at the footballer page and I just pointed to Courtois and he looked at it and looked at me and said, poisson, which I thought was a million times better and not bad for a first try of a word he'd still never heard me say. They're only in year seven, but I think it's showed a lot of promise. It's worked really well so far. It's given them a lot of confidence. And I think it's made them a little bit more independent because they start to think, actually, they can figure out how some of these words are pronounced. They don't need to wait for me to say it. And even when they have heard me say it, I think it reinforces it for them because they know why it's pronounced that way. I'm definitely going to stick with it as a strategy. And I'm also going to try and add in maybe one new footballer a week just to keep them going. I also love the idea from Warwick MFL, who runs a lunchtime Bundesliga Xbox club, as you do, to help her students with their German and understanding of German football culture. In the school where I work, I run a German Bundesliga Xbox club with pupils in year eight who've started to learn German. I select teams from the actual Bundesliga and the pupils sign up to be that team and then they they run and play as that team throughout the school year. We run the league roughly from October until the end of May. They turn up every week and they play each other as you would in a normal league. There are, on a fortnightly basis, there are football activities in German. And depending on how they complete them, how well they complete them, they can then earn their team extra points as well. I've done in the past where if they wear a colour from their team, they also can earn extra points and even better if they actually have a scarf or a hat from that team, for example. For the first time this year, it was run in Spanish as well. And then at the end, we took the top two from the German league and the top two from the Spanish league and they played each other and then the two finalists played and it was won this year by a German team which was really exciting. The boys seem to really enjoy it. We do it mainly to encourage the learning of German and for them just to be using a little bit of German in a different environment as well. And I've now got a couple of the boys from the club who are going to just talk to you about why they like it and how they find it. The Bundesliga club is a great club for German students because you can practice your language skills and then play FIFA against your friends. I think that the club is very competitive, fun and can be a break from the busy school life. My favourite part about the club is the competitive side to the FIFA games and that you can compete against your friends to become the Bundesliga champion. In Bundesliga Xbox Club, we do these really interesting activities and it helps us learn German as well as being really, really interesting. For instance, we did one about stadiums of different football clubs. That was awesome because I didn't know any of those names. It was kind of fun but really kind of hard too. I really, really like the club because we just get to relax and play FIFA and eat sandwiches and have a good old laugh with people that we share lots and lots of in common with. 
And the next story is about the sauerkraut cup, which I never heard about before, but through the crowdsourcing for information for this episode, I heard from Sasha Stollens, who works at Lancaster University, and he told me that the competition had been running for about 10 years from different university departments. And here's Will Burton, who is on the organising committee for the sauerkraut cup this year, to tell us more. Hi, my name is William Burton, and I'm a French and German student at the University of Manchester, and I shall be talking about the sauerkraut cup. So where's the Sauerkraut Cup? Well, there's a football competition between the German societies of Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield and Warwick University that takes place every year around about April time and has done so for around about the last decade. So how has the Sauerkraut Cup benefited my language learning? Well, what usually happens is all the German lecturers from all the universities come down to watch us play. So, for instance, this year we had two German lecturers come down and watch us from the University of Manchester. And they would speak to us in German. And this would be when we're playing or when we're on the sidelines resting. And they talked to us in German. What I found was that when playing sport and doing something that I enjoyed, learning a language becomes a lot easier as you are able to break down social barriers between you and your lecturer. And you are able to not have any worries about whether what you say is grammatically correct or incorrect, as this is what sport enables us to do. I had the same experience, actually, when I lived in Bavaria for six months. Whilst in Bavaria, I um, played football for a team. And whilst over there, I found that playing football improved my language skills. Uh, Speaking constantly with people whilst doing something I love enabled me to better my German. And this is essentially what the Sauerkraut Cup enables students to do. And for another example from the university level, as well as how we can harness the culture around football in order to encourage and foster language learning, we have at J underscore Irvine sharing his reflections. He's going to share an example of how we can use a show from Netflix, as well as other useful media resources for everyone to check out. Hello, I'm Johnson Irvine. I'm a lecturer in French at Bangor University. And I tweet at J underscore Irvine, that's Irvine, E-R-V-I-N-E. Quite a bit of my research and some of my teaching in recent years has focused on football and national identity in France. Now, I think that sport and in particular football can be a really good way into exploring issues to do with diversity, immigration and national identity that are often on the school curriculum for studying the cultural aspects of France and French society. In particular, I'd like to strongly recommend a documentary called Les Bleus, Une Autre Histoire de la France, which is available on Netflix in the UK, which looks at the French football team in recent decades and how the French football team has been a focus for people who've looked at debates about diversity, multiculturalism, immigration, integration in France, and how people have maybe sought to overuse or misuse sport in this context. I think it's fantastic when our students, whether it be at university or at school, have a way of pursuing things that may interest them in the UK in a French context or Spanish, Italian, German, Chinese context, whatever language they're learning outside of the classroom. Another thing I'd mention is that if you look at Amazon, if you look at Netflix, there are a variety of foreign language documentary series about specific football teams, not just in France, but also in Spain, Latin America, for example. And if you go onto YouTube, if you're interested in France and French football, it's possible to watch official short highlights videos from Ligue 1. 
So overall, I think that football provides a great and perhaps underused way of going into important debates about contemporary France and French society that can be a real plus when it comes to language learning. The next piece of audio is amazing. When teaching in the Northeast, Brian underscore P underscore Hackett contacted the manager of Middlesbrough, who was a native Spanish speaker, to ask if he could write a letter of encouragement to his MFL GCSE students at the time. Have a listen to see what transpired as a result. Hi, this is Brian Hackett. My Twitter handle is at Brian underscore P underscore Hackett. Back in May 2015, I contacted the personal assistant for the then Middlesbrough Football Club manager, Aitor Karanka. Some of the students in my GCSE Spanish class were, were huge Middlesbrough fans. I suppose somebody has to be. So with, with Aitor being a, a Spanish national, I, I asked if uh, he would write to my students to encourage them in their GCSE exams. And um, he was quite happy to oblige. He wrote them a letter stressing the importance of learning a second language and, and talking about how he used language skills in, in football and in football management. And it, it was greatly received by my students. Uh, in fact, one, one of my students um, posted it on, on Twitter. Um, it was retweeted and picked up by the national newspapers and was, was talked about on Sky Sports. It was particularly um, important because at the time, Middlesbrough were, were vying for promotion to the premiership as well they're were, they were actually in the, the championship at the time and and they actually got it as well uh so it was it was talked about how the manager took the time out to uh to help some students and encourage them uh, i repeated it in in may 2018 tony poulis and, and rudy gestead who's a, a french national wrote to my my french gcse class again talking about the importance of uh, of learning a second language how important it is to, um, to to have language skills, particularly in in the world of football. Happy to provide uh, copies of uh, of the letters as well. I'll send them to Joe Dale, and uh, thank you for listening. Joe, I love the inspiration from that. Also, the reminder that Brian gives us all about the power of just asking for things for our kids. Put people in a position in which they might tell us no in order to give them the chance to tell us yes so that we can create awesome and memorable and engaging, relevant experiences for our language learners. I couldn't agree more. In fact, this podcast wouldn't be possible unless I was constantly reaching out to people, asking them to send me audio of their inspirational practice. And in the most part, they say yes, which is just cool. (laughs) Moving from Middlesbrough to Madrid, we are going to finish off the show and tell with Ula Alavets, who reflects on a recent trip he made with his students to the Bernabeu Stadium, home of the mighty Real Madrid. My name's Tim Blunden. You can find me on Twitter. My name on there is Mr. T. Blunden, and I have a picture of a nice big tomato. And very recently, I took a group of around 20 year 11 students on an exchange visit to Madrid. And on our final day of that visit, we went to the home of Real Madrid, the football club, the Estadio Bernabeu. And there we had a tour of the museum and we went through the kind of team facilities. We got to go pitch side and sit in the players and the manager's area, which was good as well. I think that as a trip, it was really, really engaging for the students. On what was quite a girl-heavy trip, this was a moment that the boys really enjoyed. However, that isn't to say that the girls on the trip didn't enjoy it as well. I think that the size of the stadium, the kind of scale of it in there, and the quantity of trophies there was really, really a sight to behold and there were definitely students who weren't necessarily fans that were taking pictures of all parts of the stadium 
for friends or for family. In terms of engaging with new language, new vocabulary during the tour, well, the students can have an audio tour in different languages and there's also a lot of audio visual and kind of interactive materials screens around that students can have a play with and look at in the target language there is also the possibility of seeing authentic texts that form a part of the club's history such as newspaper clippings they have old contracts which is quite interesting to see. And there are definitely words that stay in the students' memories. We saw the word vomitorio, like a vomitorium, which will certainly stay with a lot of our students. I think really it was a great trip for all involved. It was incredibly interesting because it really revealed a new setting for languages that students don't necessarily have in mind when they're studying the foreign language. So, I mean, the world of top-flight football, of professional sport, can be a real melting pot. And I think to see a changing room where the players have, you know, different names and are from different countries, they can really make a connection with translation and interpreting within the world of sport and how languages are used in that setting, which is something that I think could be emphasised more when trying to engage students with modern foreign languages. All in all, I think they learned a lot about the importance of football in Spanish society and how central it is to a lot of people's lives there. And in my opinion, the tour was very useful for all of the students. Okay, so I'm with two students currently in year 11 who took part in the exchange to Madrid and took part in the visit to the Real Madrid Stadium, the Bernabeu. What do we think? Was it a worthwhile part of the exchange? Yeah, definitely, because it gives you an insight of their lives, because a lot of them were football fans. And to them, it's part of their culture of like going to games like, every week and supporting their local team. I would agree with Dan, because um, obviously, I think for Spanish people, football is basically an integral part of their life. And if I think it was also interesting, especially all the people, but for me, it was interesting as I'm a football fan myself to um, see the stadium as it, I would say that it is world famous. What did you learn, do you think, about either kind of Spanish culture or like footballing culture or any new language? Well, you obviously learn some of the language because they have lots of like, information in multiple languages. And I think the fact about the Spanish culture is how much they care and just seeing how devoted the fans are, it's just amazing. I would say that there was some new language, however, all of it was in English, but there was some new language. I like the things on the trophies and there's certain newspaper articles and there was like a couple of, I don't know, like contract details here and there, but... Yeah, you do learn how people in Spain really do adore football and how important it is to them. Is there anything you think that could have been done to improve a visit or to make it more interesting or more engaging for you? I think there could be maybe some like better videos for people who aren't as interested in football to sort of get them more involved and enjoy it as much as we did. I would say it would be better if probably could have gone to a match because you could have really experienced the match to experience and really take in how big the stadium is. Okay, excellent. Thank you. 
In this episode's Tech Talk interview, we have the pleasure of talking to Vincent Everett, who's been preparing his students for their GCSE speaking exam by flipping the classroom, turning his PowerPoints into videos around the topic of football as well as other subjects. And also, he's been putting into practice the research by John Sweller of reducing the cognitive load by using writing frames as a way of promoting speaking. This is particularly popular at the moment in the UK as a language learning methodology. For this TikTok interview, it's our pleasure to be talking to the lovely Vincent Everett, who I've known for many, many years. He's head of modern foreign languages at Northgate High School in Norfolk. And uh, he's also a member of um, the Association for Language Learning, which we'll be talking about more later. But first of all, Vincent, I wanted to just touch base with you about the fact that when you signed up to Twitter back in 2011, you described yourself in your Twitter bio, which is still there, I see, as a Twitter skeptic. Could you maybe talk about why you decided to describe yourself as a Twitter skeptic? And are you still a Twitter skeptic eight years on? I think I probably am. I'm on Twitter far too much. I think it's the fact that you don't actually have enough room to talk about things on Twitter very much. It's more a way of finding links to things that are worth looking at. So it's very helpful keeping up to date in a way that you couldn't before. But it's probably by clicking off Twitter onto links that take you places rather than Twitter itself. So would you still describe yourself as a Twitter sceptic? Or do you think that your views have changed having been on Twitter for the last eight years? I suppose seeing as I do read just about every message from everyone I follow, that I'm not a Twitter sceptic. I know, Joe, you did tell me how to use lists so they could only see the messages from people on certain things that I wanted to be seeing rather than everything they happened to tweet about. And I'm sure you do the same to me, otherwise you'd be looking at a lot of political stuff as well as MFL stuff, it turns out. So maybe, maybe I'm not a Twitter sceptic as much as I was. And how would you say the influence of the MFL Twitterati has been on your practice? It's nice to know there are people there that, you know, you can put a question out and you get an answer back, whether it's teaching or language or tech. Yeah, it's always nice that you get lots of responses. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, I've always regarded yourself as someone who's very objective. And I love the way in which you give your input when people are talking about exam issues or advice on, say, speaking exams and writing exams. I think that you're very much a very valued member of the MFL Twitterati, and I think that uh, your objective view is always very welcome. Thank you. It is only, it's only my view that I think we have to say. I'm not a, an expert. I do tend to make it up as I go along. Vincent, it's so great to have you on the show with us and to hear that objective uh, viewpoint that you bring to the show. And at the same time, you know, Joe and I are definitely fans of the leadership that you're showing on some of the applications of technology in the world languages classroom, in the modern foreign languages classroom. And one of the things that we really wanted to dig into is your context and need to create flipped videos for your students and just how you made them, why you made them, and what impact you see them having on your students' language learning. Yeah, I think you'll notice some of the videos are French or French and Spanish. I mainly teach at GCSE, I mainly teach Spanish. So in a way, it's a way of me getting into other teachers' classrooms to some extent. So the other people in my department, they can put up a video of me or they can set it for homework. They're all not so much about the nitty gritty of language features. They are about an approach to the exam or, on a, or a, a way of looking at, um, at a grammar feature. So it's not to do the nitty gritty teaching. It's to maybe open people's eyes in the first instance to why something's going to be useful or how to, uh, how to approach the exam. There's a kind of personal point of view that I would like to get across to pupils who aren't just in my own classroom. I, th I think they've also gone down well with my daughter's friends. They uh, they all laugh when they see me and say, yes, thanks for teaching me the subjunctive in GCSE French, which their teacher has got no idea where they've got that from. She thinks they've Google translated it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And could you maybe describe the context behind why you decided to 
go down that flip learning road. It would be interesting to know your thoughts because obviously it does take quite a lot of time to create these videos. Why did you get started? I think it was just a way to maybe do something that would grab the people's attention a bit more, a way of getting the message across in the classroom, out of the classroom, or for other teachers using them in, in their own classroom. Awesome. So maybe if we drill down into one specific example of a video to start off with, i.e. the uh, the GCSE French speaking exam, an important message, could you maybe describe a little bit about what that's all about and um, what you were trying to do within that video? Yeah, so I think this is this is a good example you've chosen of one where it, it's very much a message and a personal message of how I see the exam and how I want pupils to see the exam. It starts off by suggesting that some people see the, the speaking exam as a situation where the examiner is taking penalty shots at the student and the student is the goalkeeper and has to avoid a goal going in or try and save it. And in fact, it's not that situation at all. It, it, it tries to show that in the speaking exam, the teacher is on your team. And in fact, there is no goalkeeper. In your GCSE exam, you are the striker. You're there to score goals. And the teacher's job is to send the ball in for you to just whack it into the goal. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love the way in which you say at the beginning of the video, this video is not about football, it's about your speaking exam. Fantastic. And also, if you don't know about football, you might learn something about football along the way, as well as <laughs> Spanish or French GCSE speaking. Fantastic. And I also really love the way in which you say at the beginning of the video that you have to get your message across in two minutes and 40 seconds. Where did you get that stat from? This is just from looking at how long people spend looking at my YouTube videos. So realising that um, probably they hadn't got to the important bit when we were doing um, maybe the subjunctive or something. They watch the beginning to see their teacher on, on YouTube and uh, share it with their friends and then go off and do something else instead. Have you found that you've had more hits around this sort of time of year? In other words, when people are getting a bit worried about their GCSE speaking revision and they, they, they turn, obviously, to your wonderful flip videos uh, to, to help them out? Definitely. There are, there are peaks when people need to show you know students, this is a good way to think of your speaking exam. Yeah. I'm not sure they're all from my students watching it. I think they're <laughs> from, from people around the country, possibly, who, who see this as a good way to, to get across the before the speaking exam, that it's not there that the teacher is trying to score goals against you. It's the opposite. Get in there, score as many goals. You're not a defender. If the exam board get a few goals past you, don't worry about it. You know, if you have to say something in the role play, like a telephone box or something you've never even heard of, let alone know the French for, doesn't matter. Let it go. Get up the other end, score a few goals with your past and your future and your opinions and your reasons. Uh, Vincent, for those people that have never gone down the route of creating flip learning videos, can you maybe describe your workflow for how to make your, your PowerPoint into your flip learning video? So these, these are videos on YouTube, but they're not really videos. They are simply a PowerPoint, and then you can record sound and timings over it, and then compress the sound, and then save it as a video. It's really that simple. I love how you end your video, by the way, just the uh, kind of the self-effacing uh, humor, I think, really makes you so much more accessible, right? Because you're explaining this idea that but the whole need for this explanation is because your students are nervous for the exam. And you're like, what I took from the video is you're really just calming students down and getting them to realize this isn't a big deal, guys. You got this. Just put the ball in the goal. There is no goalie. And, you know, I'll even make fun of myself. Like, I'm not coming to this from some authoritative, like, telling you how to live your life point of view. You know, I, that's so perfect how you mentioned that the videos are being used not just with your own students, but beyond to other classrooms around the world. And it really speaks to just your ethos of open sharing and that learning can happen anywhere, not just within four walls. And it can happen anytime, not just between two bells of, of class starting. 
And, you know, with that whole idea of open sharing and and not just telling people what to do, but saying, hey, you know, here's how to do it. Take my stuff and use it. You know, I I wanted to ask you about with your involvement with the Association for Language Learning and your promotion of different wikis, which is, you know, beyond videos, another type of open sharing collaboration. Would you mind touching on some of uh, your wiki work? So, yes, the Association for Language Learning has got several wikis, which are all interlinked, um, themed by literature writing, translation, speaking, transition. And we've, we've put resources on there for a whole range of classroom activities. Um, lots of different people. Some of my things, again, they, they do link to the videos. So Vincent, you mentioned that the wiki is a great place for people to access resources from teachers all over the UK, but also that you're sharing more of your own videos there. And one of the videos that Joe and I wanted to ask you about is the keep talking activity. Would you mind uh, filling us in on that? Okay, so this is an activity that we do a lot in class, practicing talking right from year seven, year eight. I mean, obviously, it's very good for GCSE as well, the idea of spontaneous speaking, developing your answers, but we, we bring in it a lot before that. And it's based on a, a kind of, I suppose you call it a substitution table with lots of different options for what pupils can say. But the idea is that you don't just say one line and that's it. It goes round and round and you can build up a story. What the video is showing is the way that actually the reason pupils maybe stall or don't give the answer you expect, even at A-level, is that you're asking them to think up what to say and make it good and pitch it just right so they're using language that they do know, but at the same time pushing themselves. And all the cognitive load of all that is, is far too much. So what we do is we split that. So one pupil or the teacher will say in English what they want in little chunks, what they want them to be saying, and they will simultaneously translate that into French, into Spanish, developing their answers so that the the cognitive load of thinking up what to say is being taken by someone else. And they're just left with actually saying the French, saying the Spanish, which turns out to be the easy part, especially if you make it the rule that the person coming up with what to say it's their fault. If it's not good enough, it's their fault. If it's incoherent, it's their fault. If it stretches them beyond what they can usefully say in the language, that's their fault. So all all you're left to do as the pupil is to say the French, say the Spanish, and then of course you swap. So you get a turn at thinking up what to say, and the other person says it in French-Spanish, and then eventually you can take on both roles. Do you know, Vincent, something that I really take from that is meeting our students, the, the pupils, as you say, where they are. There's this notion that I'm hearing a lot at language conferences in the United States around getting students to speak at their level plus one. And so, you know, the challenge for us as instructors is to, I I almost hear you saying, scaffold these keep talking activities in such a way that we're not asking them to keep talking at where they are plus 12, because they can only do that with the help of a translator, but actually meeting them where they are and saying, say what you're able to say and maybe push yourself just a little bit with these transition statements and extenders. And there are little routines to build in. So if you if you say, I like to play tennis, then what do you think to say next? Well, especially if I can go to the park with my friends. But then if you've done with my friends, there's the second half of that. But if I have to go out with my family, I prefer to go to the swimming pool. And then what do you say next? Well, maybe at the weekend, I was going to play tennis with my friends, but it was raining. Next word's got to be, so I decided. To. So it starts to roll. And it's just building routines that help you, help you go from one short sentence, I like to play tennis, 
to something that follows and develops and expands. I think what might be quite fun now, Vincent, it would be if you were to demo this live with Noah. So you're speaking in English and then Noah's translating what you're saying in Spanish. I think that will help learners understand the process of keeping the talking activity going. Right. Noah, how's your Spanish? Now that I'm put on the spot, I'm pretty nervous about it. <laughs> I, this is a whole new segment for the Ed Talk interview. We might need to get some new theme music going for it. Well, this is what we do with our beginners once we've crunched the phonics. So they would have the sheet in front of them. And obviously then first thing is to develop answers with the sheet in front of them. But after that, slowly, slowly reduce that dependence on the sheet. But you're going for it with no no idea this is going to happen at all. Okay, um, here we go. I like to go to the beach. Now you say that in Spanish. A mí me gusta irme a la playa. Especially if it's sunny. Especialmente si hace muchísimo sol. So. Pues... I can draw elephants in the sand. Puedo dibujar elefantes en la arena. But... Pero... If it rains... Si hace lluvia... I prefer... Prefiero... To go and eat in a cafe. Comer en un café. Awesome stuff, guys. Thank you ever so much. You're, you're real um, fantastic volunteers. Volunteers in inverted commas to do that. I really appreciate it. Um, I think that would really help listeners to to understand exactly how this uh, this approach works. But if that was hard to understand, even with a demonstration, I mean, one place you can go to find a lot of these resources, and there for several, you know, different topics, that was going to the beach, if you wanted for school or free time or holidays or any of the topics that we traditionally do. If you head to the AWL Association for Language Learning wikis, the, the speaking wiki, that's a great place to find these resources. And of course, we'll put all the links in the show notes, as always, so people can check out the links there if they want to. So to finish off with, I think it would be really cool for uh, Vincent maybe to talk a little bit about some of the hacks which he's tweeted about in recent months. For example, you talked about a hack for GimKit or icing people. I don't know what that means, but it sounds interesting. And also a hack for Quizlet. Can you maybe explain a bit, a little bit about those, uh, Vincent, in your own time? Okay, well, Quizlet, the pupils have found several hacks I think what it is they're designed for when you're using it on your mobile phone to make it easier than when you're on a on a PC. So it's a touchscreen thing. For example, on the activity called Match, if in the URL address bar you just change that to Micro Match, you get a much quicker activity where you can click rather than having to drag and drop. Even worse than that, they've discovered if you make the window a teeny tiny window, so all the squares are on top of each other, you can just randomly click and get a very, very quick time. So the first <laughs> of those is a good hack, which is good to share with pupils because it hooks them in and they think they're doing well. And the other one's a complete waste of time and ruins the activity. So uh, don't share that one. And then GimKit. GimKit, it's more... Uh, icing is a normal part of the game. Well, you can set activities for the pupils to do as a challenge on their own, an assignment, where they're not competing against each other. But then if you have them as a class activity, icing each other is a normal part of it. And that's where I do it slightly differently. I make sure that I always input a class and give them made-up names so that they can't then see necessarily who is who, because otherwise they could all pick on one pupil. It makes sure that doesn't happen. And Vincent, for any of our MFL Twitter I podcast listeners who are unfamiliar with GimKit, uh, you know, it definitely compares to Kahoot. It's a fun pressure kind of quiz show game. Fun fact, it's actually built by a teenager who's very receptive to feedback and, and doing innovative tweaks and, and fun features like this idea of icing. But just in case people didn't catch just what icing is, could you kind of go back and just explain 
what that feature is and any other kind of fun little pieces of the GIMKit app that you think teachers need to know about for the language teaching classroom? So everyone's trying to amass their own points by clicking as quickly as they can on the correct answer. And you can ice someone. If you see their top of the leaderboard and you've got, you've got enough points to pay for it, you can freeze their screen. Halloween, they made it so you could pie them. For Valentine's Day, they made it so you could put up music and the whole screen went purple and it said you were in love. They are very receptive. I've, I've got in touch with them over Twitter and said that pupils, because you can only ice someone, you can only use your ISA once, but pupils were logging out, scoring a few points to get enough points to be able to buy and then icing people repeatedly. And they're, they're going to put a stop to that so that you can't rejoin the game. You still have to watch out for pupils making numerous logins initially. So they've got more than one chance to, to ice people or pie people. But, uh, yeah, it's very competitive. Yeah, and a good problem to have if we have our students trying to simultaneously participate in more than one language activity at the same time in our classrooms. Fantastic stuff. Thank you so much, Vincent, for all your insights, all your sharing around uh, your use of Twitter, flip learning, cognitive load, hacks in the classroom for using different tech tools. I think it's been really awesome. And you're very much, in my opinion anyway, very much a teacher's teacher. So thank you so much for sharing all your insights and all your practical tips. It's been great fun. Thank you. It's been fun. And that's the tone of your whole podcast. I love that from the start, that it's it's calm, it's friendly. You've got time to talk to people. It's about people as much as it is about the, the technology and the language learning. So great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Vincent. Thank you so much there from Vincent for sharing his expertise around flip learning and reducing cognitive load. Anyone else interested in finding out more about the link between research and language learning, I would encourage you to check out a recent blog post by BexN91, who blogged about the different presentations in the MFL strand at the Research Ed Conference in Rugby. And that's a great starting point for finding out about other approaches towards evidence-based teaching and also the people you can get in contact with to find out more. Yeah, Joe, I really love talking with Vincent and just learning and sharing with him. And I think that one of the big takeaways for me from his interview is that as teachers who are interested in exploring flipped models in their language learning classrooms, you want to get started. It can be really hard. You know, it's maybe a lot more clear how to do it in other content areas than the language learning classroom. You know, do you do it a little bit at a time? Do you do it all the way? But I think what Vincent really does is make it accessible. So if people are looking to get started, they not only now have examples on how to get started, but for the Spanish teachers who are listening to this, he's actually giving you his resources so that you don't have to start from scratch. And I think that's going to be really powerful for people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Great uh, sharing there from Vincent. He's always very generous with his resources, as other people are in the MFL Twitterati. And speaking of generosity, Joe, I mean, you have you know generously given a whole lot of your time. It is not easy to do any one of these MFL Twitterati podcasts, but especially one where there is a common theme like football running through it. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed all the show and tell all the great radar and takeaway audio because Joe has worked his tail off in order to bring it all together for you. And one last reminder as we come to the end, I would also highly encourage everyone to visit linguiscope.com slash podcast. Make sure you get in on this contest that they're offering in order to win a free subscription to their award-winning language learning platform. Thank you so much, Noah. I couldn't have done it without my striking partner, Noah Geisel, the Noah Geisel. So it's very much a, a team effort, as one says. And I uh, can't wait for episode seven. Can't wait for it, Joe. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
So now, what's coming up in episode seven of the MFL Twitterati podcast? Thank you so much for asking at Joe Dale. Episode seven is going to feature a Tech Talk interview with the one and only Paco Fernandez. And we are going to stick with the thematic episodes and bring you a whole episode to have you dance in the streets. We are going all in on music for episode seven. Nice. The MFL Twitterati podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts, Overcast or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com, where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too.